Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message, and God bless. You open up with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start our Easter series today entitled Passion. It wasn't the nails. Passion. It wasn't the nails. So if you want to open up to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be focusing on verses 5 through 11 today. When Jesus was placed upon the cross, he didn't go as a captive. He didn't go uh, by force. Uh, he chose to go. Uh, they, uh, uh, they didn't make him. Uh, all the way from beginning to end, he made the choice to go to the cross. And as such, because it was his choice, it wasn't the nails that kept him to the cross. It wasn't the threat of the Roman legions. It wasn't the threat of the Jewish teachers and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What kept Jesus on the cross was his love for mankind. His love for mankind. He loved you and I. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ gave his life upon the cross. With unconditional, sacrificial love. And so the next three weeks, we're going to look at the love of Christ. What that means to you and me. And how we can apply these principles to our lives. To give something sacrificially is the greatest way that you can give. But it's not just sacrificial giving. It's also cheerful giving. We talked a little bit this morning in the Bible study about, you know, serving God out of obligation and doing it because that was the right thing to do and, and you know, sacrificing, right? But the truth is, is that God uh, not only wants us to give sacrificially, but we must give from a heart of love, from a place of thanksgiving, right? Not just because we have to or we feel obligated. When uh, Curtis uh, got married, he had a, a red Mustang that he had gotten for his first car. And he got married in a, in a place that he was living had a lot of potholes. And uh, Mustang... Uh, it's very low to the ground, uh, and uh, the potholes are no friend of it. And so it did not take long for him to do tons of damage to that car because, like most young adults, uh, he didn't take the potholes or navigate around them. He hit the gas and just... <laughs> and so he was breaking stuff in his car on a fairly regular basis. And then finally, uh, what did the car in uh, was he uh, hit a gear. Uh, and uh, that did a, a pretty good number on the car, so he needed transportation. In fact, even after we got the car, the, 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 his bus stayed fixed, 
the, uh, it never drove the same again. In fact, we got it fixed and literally got it back from the shop. And I got it home, uh, driving it from the shop long enough for the muffler to fall off in the driveway and for the seat to break. Uh, so uh, that car was essentially undrivable. Uh, so uh, I sacrificially gave him my Mustang. Now, uh, my Mustang was much newer. It was a uh, much uh, more powerful engine, uh, but he needed a car to drive, so I gave him mine. Uh, and so it was a sacrifice to give that to him, but the truth is I was happy to help him. I was wanting to give to him. Unfortunately, uh, he very quickly did to that Mustang the same that he did to his. <laughs> Uh, he broke the tie rods in it three or four times. Uh, he has caused tremendous damage to it to the point where I just all I could do with it was donate it. Uh, when he was done with it, he parked it in a, uh, a field. And he, when I picked it up to have it donated uh, to, to cars uh, for kids or whatever it was, uh, it was filled with bugs and gnats. And I, oh man, I wasn't feeling so cheerful at that moment in time. Uh, but... I, I gave up something for him. Why? Because I loved him. He was my son. He needed something, and I was more than happy to do it. When you and I give, and we give sacrificially, if we do not give out of a heart of cheerfulness, then we will become resentful and angry. Amen. Right? And Jesus Christ, he not only gave sacrificially, but he gave out of his love for us. And I hate to say it this way, but he was more than happy to do it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right? He didn't give his life begrudgingly. Mm -hmm. He didn't give his life because he was coerced. He didn't give his life because he thought that's what his father wanted. He gave his life because he loved us. I love that song. When I, or when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Because that song so clearly illustrates how much Christ not only loved those at that present time, but also me and you, and what drove him to go through with the pain of suffering on the cross. Even though many reject him, even though many take advantage of him, even though many do not love or appreciate what he did, he did it anyway for you and for me. And you and I are to be grateful for that indescribable gift that he gave us. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 15, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Of course, that being Jesus Christ. A gift fueled by love. Jesus was and is the humble king who serves the world in desperate need. A world that is in desperate need, Jesus Christ serves, willingly gave his life, and continues to love and show grace and mercy to all that will call upon his name. Let's look now at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And therefore God also has 
highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humility played a great part in Christ's death upon the cross. His sacrificial death was done so out of a heart of humility. So his love for us was based in a humble heart. He was humble. What is humble in its basis sense is? Is to prefer someone over yourself. It's not weakness. It's preferring others over yourself. In fact, it is harder to be humble than it is not to be humble. It takes an act of the will. You have to be strong to be humble. Why? Because you are selflessly giving yourself for somebody else. Putting somebody else's needs. Putting somebody else's desires. Putting somebody else's comfort in front of our own. And by nature, you and I do not want to do that. By nature, we are selfish and self-serving people. And we do not want to put others in front of ourselves. We want what we want when we want it and our built wired into us is self-preservation. Take care of me and my family. If I got something left over, I might help somebody else out. But boy, I am not going to dip in to what I need to get my family to help anybody else out, right? I mean, I'm selfish and self-centered just like you are. I'll just say it for you, right? We are all selfish and self-centered people. But being humble is putting all that selfishness and self-centeredness aside and preferring our brother and our sister. And not just those who know Christ as Lord and Savior, but also those who would persecute us, abuse us, and take advantage of us. That's exactly what Jesus said. Anyone can love someone that's good to them, but real love is loving those who hate us. Right? So uh, he's like, what, you know, what good is it, profit is it to love people who love us already? That's what the Bible says. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that humility, preferring our brother, preferring our sister, whether it's in Christ or those who are in the world, it's a hard life to practice. And Jesus Christ practiced love in humility. And the first thing that Paul tells us in verse 5 is let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What mind was that? Humility before the Father. Humility in that he preferred us over his own comfort, his own throne in heaven. Right? You and I must put on the mindset of humility. But that's not easy to do. When you really, I can't tell you how many times, in fact, I've taught from Philippians chapter 2, and I've always kind of skipped over verse 5, to be honest with you. I, I, it was an ancillary verse for me, because the good stuff was in verse 7. Well, verse 6, starting on. But the truth is, is that before you and I can appreciate what Christ did, we must put on the mindset of Christ, which is humble love. Love and humility. Right? That's the only way we can properly approach the gift that Christ gave because if we do not approach it understanding that Christ preferred us, was humble, right? Then we won't appreciate the gift that he gave us. We'll take it for granted. And we will not uh, humble ourselves for others. 
We will not prefer our brother. We've got to put on a mindset of humility. And the question today is, is have you and I surrendered our thoughts, our priorities, our will to God? Are we preferring God and are we preferring our brother before ourselves? Now, I know it sounds silly to say, are we preferring God? Well, of course I prefer God, but do we really prefer God? Right? When it comes down to it, if I don't feel like praying, do I pray? When it comes down to it, when I don't feel like reading my Bible, do I still read my Bible? When it comes down to it, when I don't have enough to uh, go out to eat, I may have to eat bologna and cheese for the week, do I still give God what's his? Mm. Right? Yep. People struggle with that. I wish I could tell you, I'll stand up here and tell you I was the pinnacle of humility, but I'm not. I actually had a pastor uh, who used to make me laugh all the time. Because he started preaching about how humble he was. he would all, I mean, that man worked it into every other sermon, his humility. And it made me laugh. Because the truth is, is you shouldn't have to talk about your humility. <laughs> yeah. If you're humble, you'll never have to say a word. Everyone will notice. Right? And I wish I could tell you that I was the pinnacle of humility. I am not. I have my selfishness and my self-centeredness just like everybody else. And it, it takes a change of heart, a change of mind for you or me to walk in humility, and so therefore, the first step to walking in a life of humility, and as Christ did, is we must think in humility. George Bernard Shaw said, those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. Man, that's tough. That's, that's a hard quote right there. For those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. You ever met anyone that always thought they were right? Oh, yeah. Right? Who always thought, I'm right no matter what. Right? You got that person that's always right. But here's the deal. Right? We have to change our minds. And if we're unwilling to change our thinking and admit that sometimes we're wrong and that maybe we're not seeing life the way it's meant to be seen, we're not seeing people the way that Christ sees people, we're not seeing the world the way Christ sees the world, we're not living in humility, humility it starts here. It starts with the changing of our mind. And here's the thing, the great thing about God is we don't, always have, we don't have to change it all on our own. We can ask him to change our mind for us. Yes. Right? We, we don't have to make it just an act of our will. We can say, God, I am asking you to help me change my thinking. Amen. We don't have to do it on our own. Yes. But we also have to recognize that we need our thinking changed. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, because I won't ask for help if I think I don't need any help. So the first thing we've got to recognize is that we all need to change our thinking in some way. I do not live my life at the foot of the cross where I can say every decision I make and every word that I speak is directly from the mouth or throne of God. I make mistakes. Right? And all of us have make mistakes. And all of us have times where we're thinking in a way that is contrary to the heart and the mind of God. All right? So it starts with thinking in humility. Uh, Paul goes on to say, uh, he says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good, are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Mm -hmm. I was going through a very significant trial in 2014. 
You know what I mean? I was in my mind, I was tormented over something. And Miss Kim, about three days into it, sent me a verse, not this one particularly, but it was from Colossians, that said, think on things above and not on things of the earth. And it has stuck with me for the last, you know, nine years. And it's been something that I often go back mentally. Why? Because I was so selfish and self-centered on what was happening in front of me. I lost sight of God being in control, serving Him, loving Him, focusing on Him. And I was so drowning in self-pity and fear and anxiety and doubt that I was living my life very selfishly. Self-centeredly. Right? And, but when you make a conscious effort to think about the goodness of God, to think about how awesome God is, to think about how faithful God is, how loyal God is, His long-suffering towards us, right? When I begin to think on those things and the mighty, uh, the majesty and the grace and the mercy of God, guess what? It changes my mindset. It begins to imp uh, impact the way that I think and see the world around me. And so when I'm facing circumstances and pain and suffering, I just remind myself of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. When I uh, begin to look and resent the people around me and I don't want to help them and I don't want to serve them, I start thinking about the mercy of God and the grace of God. And I'll be honest with you, without his long suffering and his patience, I wouldn't be standing here today. I thank God every time I pray for his long suffering and that he is so patient with me. He didn't just say it the first sin or the second sin or the third sin or the one millionth sin. Curse, I'm through with you. Yep. And so when I look at that and I think about those attributes and the mercy of God, it causes me to look at my brother and sister, even those who are not in Christ, those who persecute, those who judge, those who hurt, those with hurtful words and hurtful actions. I try my best to think about God and who He is and the mercy He had on me, and then I in turn will attempt in whatever uh, the power of the Holy Spirit to show them the same mercy and the grace. It is hard to show other people grace, folks. I know. It's hard. I can tell you that it was hard for me as a young man, as a young preacher, as a young teacher. And back then, I didn't love people. And it was hard. Right? I'll say, tell you that I loved those who were good to me. But those who didn't love me, I, didn't, I couldn't care about them. You know, you were mean to me once. Ah, I don't need you. Right? Now, however... I kind of, I have a heart for everyone, to be honest with you. I want everyone to be saved. I wanna, don't want to see anyone hurt. I don't want to see anyone crying. I don't want to see anyone sick. I don't want to see anyone lose a loved one, even those who are not a part of this flock, right? Mm -hmm. To show that grace and that love and that mercy. But I have to tell you, even with that heart of love, when someone hurts me, it hurts. Mm -hmm. I wish I could tell you that I was the perfect pastor, that when someone was mean and said hurtful things to me or left in a huff uh, and didn't even give me a chance to, to try to talk to them, I wish I could tell you that my first thought was, blessed be Jesus, touch them, multiply them, bless them. It's not. I'm like, well, forget them. The first thought in my mind is, how could you? Don't you know how many hours I prayed, how many tears I cried, how many meals I fasted, how many times I was on my face before God to pray for your miracle that you got? That's the human part of me. But you know, we all do that, right? Yep. Right? Don't you know? 
I actually have to check myself and say, God, please help me. And I have to make myself pray. And I will tell you that over time as I pray for that individual and I pray for their family, I go from doing it begrudgingly to meaning it. Right? Because mm -hmm. right? ultimately I just want to make it to heaven and be who God wants them to be. And I can say that about everyone that's ever come in the, the, the doors of this church from the time we were in the clubhouse till today, whether they've stayed or not, I still love them and I want God to, to move in their life and for them to be everything that God wants them right. to be. Mm -hmm. But I have to tell you, I have to say, God, help my thinking. Right. And I have to stop and, and think about things above and not the right. things of this earth. Mm -hmm. To recognize that God has a bigger plan and not be selfish and self-centered. That's humility. Not being selfish and self-centered and preferring our brother, even when our brother or our sister hurts us deeply. Right. It's forgiving even though they don't ask for forgiveness. It's praying for them even though they tell you they, they spit in your face. Mm -hmm. Right? It's going to their hospital bed even though they rejected you. Right? It's all of those things. That's preferring our brother. And that's what Christ did for us. He had that mentality that I'm going to serve them. I'm going to do. Why? Because the ultimate goal was to reconcile us to himself. Mm -hmm. Right? To, get, make, to give us peace with God. Romans 12, 2, Paul says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you've been in a church any amount of time, you've heard that uh, verse quoted, I'm sure you've heard people uh, read that, and you'll know that transform there comes from the English word where we get metamorphosis, so literally a butterfly uh, or a caterpillar going into a cocoon and coming out something completely different. And what Paul is talking about is our mind, the renewing of our mind, change of mind, change of thought. And we can't do that on our own. It requires the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us to change and renew, to transform, to perform that metamorphosis of our minds to be more godly focused than inward focused. By nature, we don't do that on our own. But the Holy Spirit will help us as long as we will ask him and we will be transformed. And when you and I are transformed, our minds are transformed, then it will be easier for us to understand or know the will of God for our lives. Many times you and I don't hear God's voice because we're still stuck in an old mindset. And you and I have to be renewed. Right? We feed ourselves, stuff ourselves on God's word and prayer. And over time, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he changes our mind. And we begin to think more like Christ. We put on the mindset of Christ. And when we do that, we can more clearly hear the voice of God, recognize his direction. It's always not always a voice. He doesn't always, uh, he sometimes just opens doors. He sometimes just puts a new person in your life, a new relationship in your life. He sometimes just does those things. Mm -hmm. Right? And, but if you and I have not renewed our minds, it's difficult for us to see that. In addition, if we're not uh, focusing upon Christ and living in humility, when we do see his will and we don't like it, it'll be tough for us to act on it. When he does open a door, we recognize it, and it looks like that door's not going to be comfortable, we'll resist going through it. Because who, by nature, puts themselves in uncomfortable positions on purpose? 
Now there are some people who thrive in chaos and being uncomfortable because it makes them the center of attention. But most people don't like being uncomfortable. Most people don't want to be in chaos. They don't want to experience loss or hurt or pain or suffering or terrible circumstances, right? They don't want to, uh, let alone choose to, let alone make a decision to. But Jesus Christ is our example because he preferred us, he was humble, and he actually, even though he said to God the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, God, if it's your will, let this cup pass for me, from me, he said, nevertheless, let your will be done. And that's how you and I have to be. But we cannot say, let your will be done above my will unless we have got the mindset of Christ, unless our minds have been renewed. And so that's where it starts is with that thinking. But when you and I are uh, changing our mindset and recognizing who God is, because remember your mindset is it's really just all who God is and the truth of who God is, that's what we should be thinking about, then it becomes easier to follow his will, even if it makes us uncomfortable, even if it may result in some uh, you know, pain or even some suffering or persecution. Next, we're to act in humility. So we need to think in humility, but then we need to have a posture of humility. So we've got to have a change in our mindset, and then we've got to carry ourselves, have a, post, a posture that's defaulted to humility. Verses 6 and 7 of Philippians 2 says, Who, being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. Jesus acted humility, acted in humility, in the most unbelievable way. He gave up heaven. Right? That word robbery there, that's translated robbery, the Greek word, um, Originally meant a thing seized by robbery. But eventually it came to mean anything clutched, embraced, or prized, and thus is sometimes translated as grasped or held on to. So what uh, Paul is writing here is he's saying that Christ did not hold on to his position in heaven, even though he had every right to, it belonged to him, it was his. What Paul is saying here is Christ had every right to not give that up. It was his. It belonged to him. But he chose to not grasp it in selfishness, but to lay it down willingly to come to earth to die for you and I. That's sacrifice. That's humble sacrifice. Right? And he knew in advance everything he was going to face. He knew every kick. Every word of rejection, he knew every punch to his face, he knew who was going to whip him, he knew everything in advance, he knew the cross, all of it, yet he still gave up heaven anyways. He gave up the throne of God, a place of worship, to come to earth to be rejected by his own creation. That's true humility. A posture of humility. God didn't have to barter with him. He didn't have to negotiate. He didn't have to reason. He didn't have to beg. Jesus came on his own accord because he's, before the foundation of the earth, he agreed to do it. He said, I will do this so that I can be reconciled to them. I can love them, have a relationship with them the way it was meant to be. I mean, that's amazing. 
right? I got to be honest with you. Uh, I'm not sure I would have done some of the things that I've done for people in my life if I knew how it was going to turn out. You guys can pretend like you'd be all super duper into it, but me personally, there's a few times I could have did better things with my life than some of the stuff that I did to help people for them to just kick me. Right? We all have that, right? Yet Jesus knew something far worse was a plan for him, yet he came anyways. He right. knew all of that, yet he came anyways. That's a posture of humility. That is totally preferring us over himself. His place in heaven. You and I will never be asked to give up a throne. We'll never be asked to give up perfect peace. We'll never be asked to give up worship. We'll never be asked to give up any of those things. All he asks for is our love for him and our service and obedience to him. That's it. But Christ gave up everything. How many of you would give up your home to a homeless person and you live on the street? And then that homeless person not even help you on the street. Right? How many of us would give up our comfort and our joy and our happiness for someone else just for them to reject us after we help them. Right? I, uh, you read, it's really been happening bad since the housing crash in 2008. But you ever read about squatters? And uh, there's been several stories since then, and, and even one I read recently, but uh, where renters rent their houses out, but then when it comes time that they're not, they just the, the people renting the house don't pay their rent, mm -hmm. they don't uh, aren't doing what they're supposed to do, but they refuse to leave, mm -hmm. and the renter has no recourse. He can't just evict them in some states mm -hmm. because they have squatters' rights. That's mm -hmm. their only place to live. Right? There are other far even more egregious where people just move onto somebody's property and live there and take it over. But in this case, you know, the renter is renting them a piece of property, doing them a favor, giving them a place to live, yet the person takes advantage of it and then basically takes their home without paying a penny for it. Right? That is what we did to Christ. He came, he gave his life, he gave up heaven, and then creation rejected it. Yet he came anyway. So how many of us carry that posture of humility in our daily lives? When we look at a situation, we immediately choose humility over selfishness. Mm -hmm. I don't. Well, that's how we're supposed to carry ourselves. Our posture should be one of humility. So that when we approach every situation in our lives, we are willing to prefer our brother. That's the first action. Right? That's what we do. We don't lash out, we don't get angry, we don't try to get revenge, we don't try to get what, you know, belongs to us, but we act in humility. That is supposed to be our posture before all things. And that's how we're supposed to live our lives. Humility is fundamentally about others. It's not about thinking less of yourself, it's literally thinking about yourself less. And focusing your time, energy, and thoughts on others. It's becoming more we-focused and less me-focused. Mm -hmm. Many people, even when they do give, they're giving because it's about them. To be seen, to be heard, to be praised, to be honored, to give all the attention on them. 
right? But that's why Jesus said, when you give, when you do, don't let the left hand see what the right hand's doing. Mm -hmm. That's humility, because we're not doing it to be seen or heard. We're doing it out of the heart of selflessness to help somebody else who is in need. And no one else may know, but God knows, mm -hmm. right? And then finally, we are to obey in humility. So we're supposed to change our thinking. We're supposed to change our posture, have a posture that is defaults to humility. And then you and I are to be obedient to Christ and humility. So when you and I are serving God in our lives, we're to do so with humility. When we're serving others, again, not out of pride or arrogance or to be seen. Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 15. Immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate. And the Pilate asked him, Are you king of the Jews? And he answered, He said to them, uh, It is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you. But Jesus still answered nothing. So the Pilate marveled. Now at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whoever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels that he committed murder and the rebellion. And then the multitude, crying out, began to ask him to do uh, just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me uh, to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him in because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he would rather, they would rather see Barnabas, uh, Barabbas, uh, release Bar Barabbas to them. And Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do we want me to do uh, with him who you call the king of the Jews? And so they uh, cried out again, Crucify him! And then Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Even Pilate believed Jesus was innocent. Right? Even Pilate believed that Christ was innocent and he had the ultimate say, but yet he still turned Christ over due to the whims and the demand of the crowd. And even when the face of all of Christ's accusers, he remained silent and humble. Still preferring them over his own well-being and his own self. He was obedient to the point of death. He didn't just come. He didn't come and say, I'm going to do it and bail out at the end. He didn't think it was a good idea at first. And then once it came to it, say, you know what? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and head on home. Right? We know that he was in anguish because it says that when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and Luke, that he uh, was uh, crying and praying to the point that he started to bleed. He was sweating blood. He was hemorrhaging. Yet he still said, let thy will be done. That's true obedience. How many of us make promises to do things, be involved in things, help people, whatever the case may be, but then when it comes time to do it, we make a reason or excuse not to be there. 
We do that in our lives, but that's not how it's supposed to be. We're not just supposed to talk about humility. We're to be obedient in humility. And that means that if you get a better offer, you turn down the better offer, you still serve your brother and your sister. Right? And I've had many times in my life where I've gotten better offers, and I, uh, I hate to say it, I took up the better offer. Because it was an inconvenience. It was a sacrifice. It meant giving up something to go help or go do, to go help that person move, to go help that person unpack, to go right, to go do those things. And so you find reasons to not. But if we are uh, acting or if we are being obedient humility, we won't find those reasons because we're still preferring our brother over ourselves. And thank goodness Christ, even when it came down to the point of death, he was willing to suffer and die and go through with it. And when you and I are obedient in humility, it will birth something. Mm -hmm. When Jesus Christ gave his life and he went all the way to the cross and died out of humility and his act of love and mercy to us, he rose again. Out of that was birthed the right eternal life for you and me in heaven with him and the Father and the Holy Spirit with God. That was birthed out of his obedience to the point of death. He was now resurrected. And that resurrection is why you and I will live again with him in heaven. It's why we'll have eternal life without tears and without pain and without suffering, and without depression, without anxiety, because he rose again. His obedience birthed something. When you and I are truly obedient in humility and sacrifice, it will birth something. You may never see the results of what it births. We may never see the seed grow up to be a full plant, but it will birth something. It is the natural law of sowing and reaping. And if you and I sow in obedience and humility, a great harvest can be reaped. We may not get to reap it, but the Bible says one man sows, another man reaps, and to God gets all the glory. Right. Amen. So we may not ever reap that harvest, but we plant the seed, and the seed grows in a due time. It is ready to be harvested. So when you and I look at our lives, let us prefer our brother. As Christ gave his life in humility for us, as he allowed himself to be nailed to the cross, and he stayed there. When uh, Peter cut off the ear of the servant, the temple servant, Jesus put the ear back on and he was like, don't you know that I could call legions of angels to come and get me out of this place? I don't need you to defend me. I'm not defending myself. Why? Because you're not taking me captive. I'm going by my own free will. Right? And so you and I need to live our lives in such a way that we willingly, without coercion, without guilt, without being driven by uh, a sense of obligation, we need to willingly serve others as Christ gave his life for us. Let us stand.
Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach a loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.